0: Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you in peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The church faced a problem with filling the apostolic vacancy. It was the kind of problem you might experience yourself. Imagine for a moment you have just bought something from Ikea. You open the package, and you begin to sort out all the bits and bobs and doodads and pieces and you've organized them into all neat little piles. Soon, though, you begin to panic. You spent a lot of money, and you've organized all the pieces, but there aren't any instructions. Or maybe you have instructions, but you're missing the key piece. That must have been exactly how the apostles felt in this very early days. What were they supposed to do? Judas had abandoned his office. He betrayed the Lord, and he hung himself in despair. Eleven apostles simply would not do. You need to have twelve. Twelve apostles, like twelve tribes. There's got to be twelve There they were, about to spearhead Jesus' plan to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in the entire world. And there were supposed to be 12 of them. And they could only count 11. The vacancy had to be filled. And unfortunately, there are no regional pastors to call. How are they going to do that? Did they... Just have to stay like that? And if not, how should they go about filling this position? Jesus, and and Bill will confirm this, Jesus did not leave them a constitution and bylaws. They had no divinely inspired procedure to fill the vacancy of the apostolic office. So what were they going to do? They went to two sources for instruction, to the word and to prayer. Verse 14, which I should have included in our reading, um, said that this little church was constantly in prayer. If you know anything about prayer, it includes a lot of psalms. So as they prayed their psalms, they began to meditate on certain psalms, which talk from time to time about a time when God's people and God's true king would be opposed by a traitor from within, from their midst, betrayed by one who they counted as a close friend and colleague. Peter shows clearly that he understands the inspiration of Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. It was that Spirit-inspired Word which enabled them to see how to feel their way forward in this unprecedented situation. The Psalms made it quite clear. It was not only right for someone else to take Judas' place, it was the proper thing to do. And they must have also reflected upon Jesus' own words to them. In that chapter, it's not listed in your bulletin, but in that chapter, Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus told them that you are to be my witnesses, witnesses of me. The person to take Judas' place had to be someone who could testify, bear witness about Jesus. It had to be someone who went around with them all the time all the days since John's baptism right through to the very bitter end. It had to be someone who was with them for the full three years of ministry. There were no shortcuts, no accelerated programs, no fast-tracking to apostleship. A full three years. And they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. No secondary sources. They had to lay their eyeballs right on Him The apostles are unique in this way. They were trained by the Lord Jesus himself, and they were able to testify before the church and before the world that they had physically seen Jesus with their own eyes. So they discovered what they had to do, and they discovered who and what kind of person they needed to fill it, simply by looking at the Scriptures and looking at Jesus' word. Their sense of direction was rooted in Scripture and in what Jesus told them. That's a main point that Luke wants to get across to us here. So they narrowed their list of candidates down to two men, a man named Joseph Barsabbas and Matthias. Joseph and Matthias. And they did a remarkable thing by our procedural standards. They prayed. Imagine that. Praying. They didn't decide and then ask God to bless their decision. No, that's not what they did. They intentionally didn't decide and then ask God to decide in prayer. They prayed. And they knew that God was not likely to answer their prayer verbally or directly. So, after praying, how are they going to know whom God had chosen? Who was God's man? Joseph or Matthias. To make a decision, they used the well-known practice of casting lots. They rolled the dice, flip a coin. They assumed that God would show his will through what some might consider dumb luck. 50-50 odds for for either of them. Imagine that, narrowing your choices down to two, praying to God, and then just flipping a coin. And so they chose Matthias, or rather they would say God chose Matthias. Now, some may think this is all rather arbitrary, isn't it? Some may think they should have done it differently. Luke didn't think so. Luke's not telling us to pick our next synodical president by flipping a coin. Bill, don't get any thoughts. He's not telling us to do exactly what the disciples did. No, this is not a set of bylaws and procedures for how to run the church. However... This isn't to say that there is not a very important set of lessons that we can learn and we can emulate. Luke's point is to show how, from the very beginning, the apostles did what they did in the light of Scripture and in the context of prayer. Everything they did was in light of the Scriptures and the context of prayer. Now that applies to us. That applies to us. Think for a moment. Are we control freaks who want to take control over things that shouldn't be in our hands? Do we pray, thy will be done, and then go and do whatever we were planning to do in the first place? Are we willing to let our choices be overruled, our plans disturbed by God and His Word? Do we really pray, Thy will be done? Or do we mean in our hearts, Thank you, God, in advance for your cooperation on this matter? I fear far too much of what we do as a congregation, as a church body, is predetermined. The outcome has already been decided in advance. And we just ask God to bless it. At the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We tend to say, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. The apostles made their decisions relying on God's Word and in the context of prayer. Do we trust in the counsel given by God's Word? Do we know the counsel given by God in His Word? Brothers and sisters, you can't know what God says in His Word if you don't read it. Pray it. Meditate on it. Do you pray for His will to be done, even if it's not what you want? Do you let God have the last say? Instead of making sure that you get the first and the last word with nothing but a pious prayer sandwiched in between. The first congregation recognized that Jesus was running the show, not them, Jesus. When they needed a man to round out the twelve, God provided for them. When the apostles died, Jesus provided others. He multiplied their office. And He continues to call and ordain men today. He uses instruments today like congregations and seminaries and call lists and call committees and regional pastors. Sometimes those results are. A little bit more random than flipping a coin. But in the end, it's the Lord's congregation. His church. His ministry. And he provides. He's provided for his church for 2,000 years. What happened to Matthias? This is the last word we get about him in Scripture. Here he is. Apostle. We never hear about him again. He became an apostle. Tradition links Matthias... As a missionary to Ethiopia, where he was believed to have met martyrdom. The facts about his missionary work and his martyrdom are not very, are few and far between. But what is known is that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lived and he died to spread the good news about Jesus as far and as wide as possible. We say we said just a few moments ago in the Creed that we believe in one holy apostolic church. We're the church that rests on the foundation of the apostles, with Christ being the cornerstone. This means an apostolic church will trust in the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. God's word. This is the same apostolic word that restores and confirms and strengthens and establishes you and the whole church in the same Christian faith, daily and richly. This is the same apostolic Word that proclaims to you today repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. This is the same apostolic Word that reminds you but God is your loving Heavenly Father. And that because of Christ's death for you, He's not angry with you. But your every prayer is heard by Him. This is the apostolic word that promises you, based on eyewitness testimony, that Jesus is risen. And that you one day will share in His resurrection. in that peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at RevFenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.